Hey, Luke, how are you? Hey, hey. great, great. So we got a special guest here today. You're up in Notre Dame. We you do. To, you got to see the Carters. How awesome is that? I did. Wonderful. Wonderful. And I got to introduce the, the Carters to Paul Suentes, so life is even better. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, but I have a special guest, and she's only going to join us for a few minutes. I thought it'd be funny if I brought on the one, the only, the Thierry Marie Gormley. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. I think it's long overdue, and I can't wait until she makes fun of you. Also, she is sitting directly next to me. My head is ginormous Aww. compared to hers. It is. It's insane. She is a child. <laughs> She's 13. Are, are you a child? 13. Mm. Yes. Here we go. Okay, 13. I'm going to transfer the headphones over to Katiri. Here we go. I'm going to do this. Katiri. Katiri, what is going on? How are you? Good. How are you? Good. It has Don't been. When was the last time that we you hung out? Technique. Don't get <laughs> this is what he does. I'm. I'm All so sorry. Time. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Right. Isn't it so tough? It's it, right. It is. Only you and I can really under understand this. Yeah. Just you and I. Yeah. You're my, it's tough. You can't hear. So, I can't It's fine. Yeah. So we haven't hung out. I haven't seen you in like two years. So now you're you're a teenager. How's that? It's different it's really weird all my friends well a couple of my friends are also teenagers so it's really funny and all my siblings make fun of me now because i'm a teenager they're like teenagers are so dumb and i'm like oh thanks guys i love this He's like thanks i just wanted some breakfast seriously <laughs> yeah it's rough no worries. uh it's it's totally gonna be fine in no way your performer is going to get on everything's great Nice. So, tell me, what is it like being the eldest daughter of of, of Shannon? Is it fun? It, yeah, I like being the oldest sibling. It's probably the favorite "quote unquote" job I have. Nice, nice. Um, and who's cooler, your mom or your dad? Uh, my mom to me. <laughs> agree, ag- agree. Yeah, I've yeah I've had more fun times with your mom for for sure. The- What's it like being go- being Michael Gormley's daughter? Oh, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, I, know, I love right? my dad, but it's so weird. <laughs> That's I, listen. I've been saying the same thing for twenty years. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Absolutely, totally fine. Totally. So your dad wants me to. Okay, what do you think when people call your dad Gomer? Is that weird? No, I'm so used to it. I'm just like, oh, okay, whatever. Did he ever tell you the story when my grandmother refused to call him Gomer? No, he did not. She, so your dad came home with me to Thanksgiving. This is what it would have been, let's say, 2001, so a long time ago. When you hear 2001, like the year 2001, what does that mean to you? Well, I was born nine years later, so it's oh not, my gosh. not that long, but yeah, it's still long oh. ago. <laughs> it was, it really was. So, okay, so we go to my, I don't know where we were, but we were, we were somewhere for Thanksgiving, and my grandmother goes, what is your real name? And he goes, oh, you can just c- c- call me Michael. She goes, okay, I'm going to do that, because I just can't call you Gomer without thinking of Gomer Pyle. <laughs> and then and then your dad has this joke where he goes, you can call me that, just don't, don't call me late late for uh, dinner. Then he would try to laugh. And, That's funny. So I did not yeah, know it's, that. It's, it's, so these are the jokes that your dad would, would try to make a lot. It would be, uh, it would be... Uh, call me Gomer or Michael, but don't just don't call me late for dinner. And then he'd do this other thing where, oh gosh, I can't remember how the joke would go, but it'd be like, 
I'm a T. I'm a teepee. I'm a wigwam. I'm a teepee. I'm a wigwam. Have Have you heard that joke? Goes, no. And then, so, so basically, you have this like Native American ghost who like a psychiatrist and goes, "I'm a teepee. I'm a wigwam. I'm a teepee. I'm I'm a wigwam." And then the psychiatrist goes, "The problem is you're too tense." And he would tell that to everyone over and over again. Like it was just, like it was just hilarious. That's hysterical. So let's talk a bit about like Shakespeare. What was it like when your dad decided he needed to become a director so that twelve year olds wouldn't like him? Um, it was interesting, and he did not decide. <laughs> I told him he had to do it. <laughs> like, Dad, what? I need your help because <laughs> all the boys were driving me crazy, and it wasn't just the. It was just so. It was fun to have him. It was a lot of fun. But he's, you know, a little crazy. A, a little. Um, uh, I feel like you're. Sorry, no, no, go, please. He's not. I mean, it's not that little. It's very big. It's very crazy, <laughs> and he's very passionate about it too. So I'm just like stuck in the middle. I'm like, yeah, that's my dad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I enjoy the enthusiasm. Can we tone it down a little bit? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. I, I wish I could tell you that that's a new thing, but it's been the same. Since I have known him, and I have I'm known him for now half his life. Oh my gosh, that's so. I know it is so long. Don't say that out, out, out loud. You said the quiet part out out, out loud. Um, who's the better actor? Oh, me definitely. Who's a better dramatic reader? Um, my little sister Cecilia. She's so good. Excellent. And my dad and I were talking about. It. I'm like, I mean, I wasn't even trying. And he was like, Oh yeah, sure, sure. And I was like, Whatever. I don't care anymore. Who's your favorite of your dad's friends? Do I have to answer this? <laughs> you do have to answer this. Um, probably you. Cut. Well, I haven't talked to you in so long, but yeah, probably I know, you. I know, Mister. Thank you, Flat Lukey. <laughs> Flat Lukey. It's a fun time anytime that Flat Lukey gets to hang out with with the Gormley kids. Yeah. Do you remember that one time when? Uh, Okay, so we, you, we, me and your dad did a live event out in, out in Houston. We were very, very tired, and and your mom had left to go like run a bunch of errands, and me and your dad were just like asleep on like the two couches. Yes, I do remember <laughs> that. I was like, everyone was. I was like, don't bother them. My mom was like, <laughs> you were don't so do tired. It. Don't do it. <laughs> and Everyone's remember, like, what? I, okay. I kept giving my phone to either you or Cecilia. I was like, it's fine. <laughs> it was entertaining you. You're fine. Yeah, we tend to get away with taking other people's phones. <laughs> to We're very ourselves. good guardians. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Last question here, at least from the script. What did you like about acting and much ado about nothing? Oh, I liked a lot of things. I loved being very sassy like that was my whole character's role was to be very sassy and witty i had so much fun it was really it was really crazy and i made a lot of really good friends doing all of that good it was just really fun i enjoyed it nice so there's actually a second part to this podcast i've heard you've listened to the podcast the plays are the thing are you becoming an irritating know-it-all like your dad now? Yes. Actually, there was... I went to a performance on Sunday, actually, of Romeo and Juliet. And there was this go. scene that, like, the plays, the podcast said to do it this way because it makes more sense. And it's just... It's really funny that way. And they didn't do it. And I was, I was like, oh, my God. This is so annoying. This is, like, really bothers <laughs> me. 
And I was like, why am I so bothered by this? I should not be, but I really was. <laughs> That's it's, it's a sign. You're one of us. One of us. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I was hanging out with some friends that day. And my teacher actually went with us to the play. And her daughter is becoming the quote, like, assistant or whatever to help with our theater thing. Mm -hmm. And then her mom was like, guess who's next? And she looks right at me. And I didn't realize that. And my friend and I lean over to my friend and I go, who did she mean? And she looks at me and goes, she met you. You're going to be the uh, like next assistant when I'm gone or whatever. And I'm like, no. Nice. You're going to become my dad even more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when are you going to start a podcast? Oh, I don't know. Whenever my dad finally lets me on it more. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, why won't you let me on your podcast, Dad? Oh, because she's insufferable. <laughs> no, she's I'm... a theater nerd. So are you. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 worse because he's like a, I get to be like a theater nerd now and really I want to lean into it and make thousands of people hear all about it. So nice. What would you like to know about I'm catching foxes? Anything? Mm -hmm. Well, no, because I hear everything because my room is right next door and my dad. <laughs> He was talking, I think it was a couple weeks ago, he was talking about our play, and I came out my door at perfect timing to hear him talk about it, and I, like, literally <laughs> fell on the floor laughing. I thought it was so That's funny. That's awesome. And he was like, Kateri's, like, the best at it, and I was like, oh, these are things you would never tell me face-to-face. -face. Never. 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 He's, <laughs> he's very strict. Your dad, you really got to earn your dad's love, though. I know. I know. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> Well, it has been so fun having you on. I promise it will, it will have you on again soon, and I'll be down in Houston soon. Oh, yeah. That'll be so much fun. So, thank you. Right? I know. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for coming on to I'm Catching Foxes. This has been awesome. Yeah. All right. First real interview with a child with a child of the show. I, I, don't, know. I, I don't know how to end things well. <laughs> I'm right. not sure if you're aware of this. I'll talk here. to you later. Bye. All right. I'll see you. She's much better at it than, yeah, fun, than I am. Huh? You want to take a chair? You want me to keep your... Pink chair in my office. It's actually better than my chair. <laughs> hey, Katira, will you shut this door? I love you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> I mean, I'm already sitting She's down. Just, Gosh. <laughs> she walked off giving notebook. <laughs> like, I'm out of here. <laughs> See you, losers. <laughs> the funny thing was, I couldn't hear what you guys were saying because she had the headphones and stuff. But uh, I had this distinct impression that every time you were making fun of me, your eyebrows would go up. And, like, it was like, so, like this is so fun. <laughs> that was awesome. It was fun. It was fun. I basically said I that I liked hanging out with with like Shannon more. I was like, I was like, your mom's way more way more cooler than your dad. So, I mean, it's true. <laughs> All my friends are using me to get to her. Friendship wise. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how are things? Oh, so gassy. Oh, so so very good. No. No, things are going good, man. Things are going good. Uh, paychecks are finally starting to roll in, so I'm not. There you go. Everyone's <laughs> that terrified anymore. This show is slowly just, just, just becoming a like. Okay, everyone, I'm fine. Life is fine. <laughs> I can breathe again. And everyone's you know. waiting for your shoe to drop, like for you to talk about it, because we've hinted at it now for like four episodes in a row. And then maybe know. next week we'll talk about it. <laughs> not this week. No. Nope. <laughs> nope. nope. Man, you have been nope. just crushing it at at uh, Notre Dame, huh? Yeah, I've been trying to, man. I've been trying to. It's really good. What's your What's your class? Tough. It's called policy and, and planning. It's basically strategic management. Yeah, right, right, right. 
So it's good. I'm really enjoying it. It's really, really fun. I love everyone that I'm with. I love what we are doing. I love the lamp. Um, so I keep <laughs> do, playing. With do my, you really love the lamp or are you just saying that? No, no, I hate this lamp that's in here actually, but <laughs> it's good. I, I'm enjoying the, the house that I'm at. We're at. I'm at the point where it's becoming like very bittersweet. Yeah. Because you were just wanted to end. You, you want to go home, but you like, oh, wait, if I go home, it means like I'm away from everyone, but then you miss home. Yeah. So it's like, we're all kind of ready to go, I think. But mm. uh, especially, especially people who've been here for like one month. That's oh, I'm time. sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember being just like, yep, done, out of here. See ya. So, so you, but you're there for two weeks or three? Two. 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 So I leave on Saturday. So when people are there so, for a month, are they doing two classes, one for two weeks, another <laughs> for two weeks? Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I've only been doing one class, but it's been a lot more, like, the outside work is basically it. The outside work is, like, having another class and then homework for your two classes. No. It's, it's just, it's it's just, it's a lot. It's I can imagine a doing lot of that, reading, doing that, a lot of writing, while working, while, you know, like, family life and all of that stuff. Like, I cannot imagine that, because when I did grad school, all I did was grad school. I treated it like a nine-to-five. I went to class in the mm-hmm. morning and the afternoon. I went to the library. I did my research, reading, writing. You know, and then I listened to a ton of antiwar.com <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> and, and then I had the time to listen to a lot of anti, listen to and read things from antiwar.com like you do. As one does. As one does. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, it would just, it would break my brain to think of like, all right, I got to carve out time for the kids. I got to carve out time for the jobby job and the emails and the, like, stuff like that. Plus, I got, you know, and you got to record a podcast with the world's most incredibly good-looking co-host in this case i mean katiri and then me so yeah, you basically can't do like yeah. your life is on pause yeah so i try to be there for things i talk to everly every day but it's like your, your life is on pause yeah yeah so i talk to my gomer every, every day <laughs> we text we text memes we text I, well i feel bad because you had, had texted me this one thing i was like oh i really want to talk about this but i was like i can't i have to focus on this thing yeah and it's one of the things that I, I think I've brought this up before, but I really do like about this particular program is because it's an executive a master's. It, it, it's intense, the deep dive and an overview at the, at the same time of different things. And you have to learn how to prioritize. Yeah. And if you, you have to learn, okay, this I'm okay having a surface level understanding of this. I want to maybe do a bit of a, of a deeper dive, but it's on to the next thing. So it's just go, go, go. You're, you're constantly making different trade-offs which is like a good thing to like train your brain on 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 how to do so it's i'm really enjoying it i think it's i I think it's going to set me up well for my future your future sir yeah i really do love it though i really do do you see that development is is where you want to be like development endowments the things kind of related whether or not in the catholic church just like the nonprofit world the fundraising world I do really, really like it. I think I will always have one foot in that. I, I probably long term would be more executive director slash slash CEO. But for right now, I'm really happy working in fundraising. You've got to be able to do that in that role. But I, I do think my skill set in the long run leans more with everything that I, with with this degree, particularly leans more in the direction of, of executive director, hmm. CEO. Yeah, whenever I enter an organization, I'm always like, how can I become the CEO? Why don't they want to just hire me as a CEO? Like, God. I'm in charge. I have a podcast. I have thoughts on things. <laughs> but it, it is, this actually, what's really fun about this course is like, you're kind of seeing like how to actually like put some stuff to use that I haven't really done. It's, this is probably the most things that I know about 
going deeper into things that I already do know about, but have never been able to like dig underneath to see what really does make this work. Mm. And so it's it's like it's it's all stuff that like like if if you were to take this course, these are all things that like you that you've read about, you've heard about on on a, on a podcast. But then you're saying a bit more about like what are the dynamics to actually make this thing work to make it a reality. So that's really like I really love that part. Like we did a group project on this group called Oxfam did a thing with a insurance a reinsurance company called Swiss re based out in Switzerland. They're a, a reinsurance group. So hence Swiss re and they were doing, they did this joint project together to basically help farmers out, out in Ethiopia that were experiencing a lot of drought caused by climate change. And how do you like help them have, have like have insurance for their farms? Cause it's like, they have a bad drought. It'll just like wipes out everything. And most people, they don't have the money to get the insurance them themselves. So reading a case study about how, how do they do that? How do these two groups come like, How do you build an alliance between, you know, a nonprofit and a for, a for-profit? You can talk about the trust part mm. and, you know, everyone can understand that. But there's some other things that are kind of important to really understand things, things that have to be a, a, a addressed. And that's the stuff that I'm enjoying learning. Like, of course, I can, I can talk about trust, but then you start to understand a bit more about how do you build that? What happens to that over the, over the long term? And what are some more kind of like hard facts, hard, like things like just someone's, sales um cycle and, and different things that could really pre prevent this thing from working and having a, like that's the stuff that you don't really um think about when, when you're talking about it at a more like a macro nor do i want to so no <laughs> yeah but, I, but do it's, you I think really, those, it's really do you think you could get in touch really with fun. those ethiopian farmers and put them in touch with me because i've been watching some youtube videos about like rainwater harvesting <laughs> and permaculture it's, it kind of comes from the homesteading videos but it's like more than that it's like sustainability <laughs> like <laughs> yeah there is this like it's it's fun because I, I actually what I really enjoy about this too is that a lot of stuff that we're doing is viewed through the for profit lens. I actually probably say it's more like I'm sixty percent the for profit oh. lens and maybe forty percent the non profit lens because you're just taking these basic of um, the business practices and you're applying them to non non profits or you're discussing how they are 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 different and seeing the non profit perspective. There's a lot more that like overlaps in what than what you'd think. A lot, a lot more. It is interesting. Just I, I, I was getting a shower the other day at two o'clock in the morning because I had been vomiting all night uh, in Where a hotel go? room. It was good fun, and that's, that's my boy. Yeah, yeah. While in the middle of a Sumo Youth Conference, so that was great. And I was thinking, and for some reason, like the craziest things run through your mind when you're like sick, you know. And one of the things that ran through my mind is when you were talking about nonprofits as like responses to failures in the market economy, and and. It's like there's things that need to be done, work that needs to be done, but there's not necessarily a market option for, you know, this thing. And so, but being, and then in my head, I was going through, okay, so that's one of the reasons why you shouldn't obsess over administration to donation ratios, because if someone can do a ton of good work, like the American Red Cross, yeah, uh, you should pay their leadership a ton of money in order to keep them in those positions. Mm -hmm. And it was funny. It was like, I'm like. Like I never get a hot shower anymore, and I was getting like this burning hot shower because I was so achy and just tired. But the only thing I'm thinking of is you and our conversation about nonprofit. And I think maybe you had sent me a text that I didn't get until I read at like two o'clock in the morning about Notre Dame or whatever. 
And so it's just in la la land. But those were the conversations running through my head over and over again. It's interesting how the more you put into your overhead, the better your outcomes are. <laughs> wow. Hey, wow. how about that? It turns out when you get really good people and you pay them really good money and they're really excited about working there, they do good work. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, you like, it's super interesting, too. Like, it's well, not, though, I, but I, we can I, pretend I, for the podcast. To what, right. It is to me. Like, I view, I view a lot of this through, like, two lenses. Like, one is through my non-for-profit lens and my work with Spoke Street. The other one is through, like, our like our business. And I'm just thinking of all the things that we're not doing. <laughs> and, and I'm like, somehow it still works. <laughs> we call that luck. Yeah, we, but, no, we call that great fans. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's true. Oh, well, actually, I, would, um, actually I, have a, I have a whole theory. It's called Blue Ocean. I'll explain more to um, you later. We Next week, tune in for Blue Ocean, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. Exactly. There wasn't anyone. Now it's now it is um, a red ocean. There's a lot of um, competition now. Ooh. So thanks, Pat and Ethan. But yeah, no, it's, it's so it's it's fun. It's good. I love the school. Like I just cannot speak enough about how great Notre Dame is. I just love the fact that they have a great bar at their hotel that's on campus. Yeah. I wish Steubenville had that. Yeah, well, uh, they they own Damon's now, and they own that hotel there. So (laughs) (laughs) they own the Holiday Inn. They own the Holiday Inn. Boy, should they bless that! (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sure there was rigorous, (laughs) rigorous uh, exorcisms that went through that place. You know, it's funny. I'm staying in the Best Western in a couple weeks. I'm going up there for the Defending the Faith Conference. Everyone should come because I'm in charge of the dot 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 young adult session. (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna be you and a bunch of weirdos isn't it <laughs> it better be you know when i got the email i sent Just us a, sit in a chair they're all like i'm, I'm sitting at, at, at your feet <laughs> which happened at the seat conference um no uh, the, when when they asked me they're like scott Hahn would like to invite you personally to the to be a speaker on the defending the faith and i'm like oh my gosh yeah so i was so excited and it's like we are going to offer something new this year. And I was like, and here it is. And we want you to be in charge of it. And I'm like, eh, okay, here we go. I knew exactly what they were going to say. And it's like, we're doing a special young adult event down at a bar away from the main campus, away from the main stage. And I was like, there it is. Anywho. And so I got the, I got the uh, email and all that stuff. And of course, I'm so happy to do it. But uh, as time went on, I realized like, oh, they ended up not having it at the bar down lower campus. It's going to be up at, just in one of the, it's in the Gentile gallery, the JC Williams. And I was like, Oh, oh you yeah. know what? This will be cool. This will be cool. And it's my own vibe, right? Like not a lot of people are going to be there. If we get the 18 to 30 year olds, they have to pre-register for my thing. So it'll be fun. It'll just be me and the kiddos. Yeah. Me and the next. That'll be fun. Me. So if you are in the Ohio area, you need to sign up for the defending the faith conference and come see your old buddy Gomer. Unless you're 31 or older then stay at home. Just kidding. You should still come to conference. Nice. So I'm doing two talks there. It's going to be awesome. And I'm doing a retreat beforehand for engineers and computer science people. So that'll be weird. Never done that before. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. The engineering. Why my voice crack? <laughs> There's a deacon who is in charge of the engineering computer department at Franciscan. And so he wanted to put together a retreat and he's like, when can we offer it? And he's like, well, a bunch of people come to this defending the faith. Why not have the same lay people who are involved in these areas kind of who are working in the world come to a, you know, just a brief retreat. So it's on like virtue in the workplace and stuff. So I'm going to be, uh, that's great. I'm giving two of the four talks that he given the rest. And then I'm 
then I'm attached to the Defending the Faith Conference where, you know, it's all these people who are like world-renowned apologists and converts and stuff. It's a dude from Islam and all these things. And then it's me with the young adults. You're, you belong. <laughs> I do. I do. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it. I can't remember the rest. Uh, Some enjoy you. <laughs> yeah. So that's my that's my big move. That's my big move for this upcoming week. So I'll see Van Vickle because I'm going out a little early to record good. the next season of Ebenezer Bow. So good. Dave sent out a text today to our to our Ascension Press representative saying that he's nervous being in a closed room and can they basically give the HR phone number ahead of time in case I make uh, overt gestures towards him. I mean, the guy's worth three quarters of a million dollars according to GoFundMe. <laughs> Not in reality, but come on. Who wouldn't hit on that? I already have. <laughs> hey, I'm here to talk to you about net at netusa.org slash apply. So you guys may have heard me talk about on the podcast in the past that one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't do net. I think I really would have loved it. I almost went to net Australia, I think, or something. It was talked about. Uh, my friend Danielle called it. Maybe net Island. I don't remember. It was like 20 years ago. Anyways. I have worked with NET in the past for other projects I've been a part of. I've been to their home campus. They're a fantastic organization. One of the most impressive I've ever been with an organization was actually when I went to go and visit NET from top to bottom. Just awesome, amazing people. And they are calling you today to apply to be a NET missionary. If you or, or someone you know could serve to be a NET missionary, please tell them about this link, netusa.org slash apply. The reality is that young people today are growing up in a largely post-Christian culture, making choosing the faith all the more difficult. A vast majority of Catholic youth are disconnecting from the church during their teenage years. Net Ministries is passionate about challenging young Catholics through relational ministry to follow Christ and embrace a life of community in the church. That's why working alongside youth ministers, parishes, and schools, Net Missionaries help young people encounter the person of Christ through evangelization and discipleship. As a net missionary, you will meet young people who need to hear your particular story. Your journey with the Lord matters. You can be an example to young people of how to make the faith their own, allowing Christ to enter into their lives. Your story has a purpose. The Lord has a call for you. If you're between the ages of 18 to 28 and interested in serving the Lord as a net missionary, go to netusa.org slash apply. That's netusa.org slash apply and fill out an application. Not able to apply yourself? Share about NET's mission with a young adult in your life and encourage them to apply today. That's netusa.org slash apply, N-E-T-U-S-A, U-S-A, U-S-A, N-E-T-U-S-A dot org slash apply. Go check out netusa.org slash apply and, and become a NET missionary. This is the Lord calling you to do it. Do it. Luke said so. So you saw a movie? I did. I saw. I took my whole. So I got home. My flight got delayed. I got home at one thirty, two o'clock on uh, Monday. And before I came home, I stopped off at the movie theater and I bought six tickets to go see the new Mission Impossible movie with me and my kids and my wife. We prepared them by watching all of the six previous <laughs> Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> Over the last, Even the like, dark one with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh huh. Uh -huh. It. He's the best villain of them all. He's the. Uh, there was some review of it that came up on my YouTube feed that said, like, who is the most truly 
remarkable villain in all of the things. And they tried to make it this one guy from the last two movies, and he really wasn't. It, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. What I mean, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill her, and then I'm going to kill you in front of her. You know, whatever he says. It, it's like the most dramatic, intense, and it, and truly, he's like terrifying. And the worst of them all, literally 15 minutes into the movie, my kids go, can you please skip this? Like, let's not watch this. And it was the second one with John Woo. So terrible. So terrible. I remember it being bad. With Limp Biscuit doing the uh, intro music. I don't know. That was great. <laughs> Tra-la-loo. But, yeah. No, it was so terrible. Oh like, gosh, what a wild time. We, we went from, like, Counting Crows, <laughs> The Wallflowers, Toad Wet Sprockets, like this, like... We had on the Sonic Youth and like some of these really great bands. All of a sudden, just like, <laughs> never mind. Here's this. <laughs> How dare you? I loved Limp Bizkit. I love them so much. <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, it's fun. How it's, much I love them. It's fun. It's just like I got to know their the, backstory. It's real to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I remember I I opposed all the music my brother listened to because I thought it was godless. And then I was like, well, I should build a bridge with my brother. And he really likes his Limp Bizkit guy. So I, I stole his first album, $3 Bill, y'all. And I listened yeah. to a handful of songs that he told me were, were good. And Counterfeit being the greatest of all Limp Bizkit songs. But then I got this, the new one, which at that time what was it not $3 Bill, y'all. What was that called? Anywho. And I, that, I listened um, to it. A Significant Other? Yeah. I did it. Uh, yeah. Okay. All for the That's Nookie. the one with um, Nookie. Yeah. yeah. And Nookie. It's it's just crazy. It's called significant other because his 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 living girlfriend that he like basically was going to marry cheated on him with all of his friends back home when he was going on tour for the first album. And, Shocker! And she was like a movie or not a movie star, a model or whatever. Her name I think it was Sage something like that. What up to my girl Sage? It's in the first album. It's fine. <laughs> so the whole thing and what he had. This? Why are we talking about? Because this? it's a funny it. part. It's know. a snapshot into my poor poor psyche. <laughs> Because he had gone on, the, like this is what I we do. Have though. We have an outline. We have an outline. But this is the thing that, I, like, this is. I hope you saw reflected in my daughter, right? Like, this is what I do. Is I can't just do a thing. I have to do all the things <laughs> around the yeah, things. I know. I'm like, know. well, and so I start reading the lyrics to Nookie and realizing it's all about this girl. The mo- the album's called Significant Other. It's all about like, and and he would go on interviews, being like, "No, I'm celibate now. I'm, I'm saving sex for marriage. I'm not doing any." And then, of course, by the time the hot chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water, which is the worst album ever, the next album came out. He, the album releases at like the Playboy Mansion and stuff. And I remember seeing that on MTV and being like so disappointed because obviously, <laughs> you, thought, you know, you thought the guy who wrote Break Stuff was being serious about celibacy. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I thought Break Stuff was a metaphor uh, for breaking sin in your life, an attachments device. Turns out it's just I about just breaking assumed. physical items because you're frustrated because <laughs> you don't know how to process your emotions, which also still resonates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so all my so three of my four kids listen to the Plays of the Thing podcast now. And they, the three oldest, well, I call the bigs, have asked if we could do dramatic <laughs> readings of Othello. So we've been doing that downstairs, me and the three bigs. All, we each take a character or two, and we dramatically read it downstairs before we do our little family prayers. What? 
our podcast used to be about productivity and insight and <laughs> culture. Now just and now me and my three kids do plays in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> I make the costumes. <laughs> I watched YouTube videos on selling. Luke, do you know the history of medieval costuming? That's. I feel like that's a track I don't want to go down, but I probably will end up there. <laughs> you gotta, before you know it, okay, everyone, I'm calling it right now. Uh-oh. In less than 75 days, you are going to go on a rant about how people, uh, you feel more like a man because you know how to sew on buttons and stuff. You can take care of yourself, and it's drawing you back to like some time where like you have more like ownership o- over things, and you're feeling better about yourself as a person because you're doing stuff with your hands. You are providing for yourself. You're going to tie it back to Jordan, um, Peterson, and all that other stuff. Sewing buttons. Joy is right feeling now, your power increase. Right now. Friedrich Nietzsche. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right now. I'm calling yeah. it. So, I, <laughs> to awkwardly transition from this moment, here's our ad. <laughs> and then, here's a new topic. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Join Net, everyone. Join Net. Uh, I took a photo with two ladies from Net at the Stupid Halifax conference. And it's so funny because in our Patreon, one of our supporters is like, I'm literally friends with them. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, small world. I love it. I love it. I took a photo. I go, hey, can I take a photo with you? Because I do a podcast where we have ads for Net, and I just find it ironic. It's Net USA, not Net Canada. But, eh? And they were like, you get the yeah, idea. sure. I think I've heard of that. That's what they said. That's what these 20-something-year-olds said. I think I've heard of your podcast. The kids don't really know who we are. We need to do a better job of that. Someone want to give us money so we can do that? <laughs> Come Anyways. on, our Sunday visitor. You got <laughs> loads of money. Yeah. Uh, it says here your proposal is to market to the kids so the kids <laughs> will know us more. <laughs> so you can get more of that, and I quote, sweet, sweet stamp.com money. <laughs> you uh, see, they want to see 20000 as opposed to 10000 Yeah. So, Oh, hey, um, I saw a Mission Impossible movie. Good Lord, I totally forgot oh, that's where this started. Now, let me just say, hey, I saw the so movie. Why do you support Scientology? Oh, man, because I, listen, I got a reading. Because it was very beautiful. It was a nominal fee. <laughs> There's a couple more readings with nominal fees attached to them. It was beautiful. But listen, if Scientology, if they want to pay us, I'm willing to go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> They're all rich. Uh, like, what celebrity can I out? They have a saying in Hollywood that Tom Cruise saved the movies, right? Have, have you mm-hmm. heard of that phrase or that? that yeah, uh, Steven Spielberg is one who, like, I'm famously told him that right by camera. Imagine that. Yeah, you single-handedly yeah. saved the movie, <laughs> right? Because his whole thing was he wasn't going to allow Maverick to be released uh, simultaneous streaming. He filmed it for the base. Is the right call? Yeah, absolutely yeah. was. And and you People see this that movie. in the lawsuit with. Um, uh what's her name over the scarlet witch movie or not scarlet witch golly scarlet johansson with her black widow movie because they originally told her it would be only theaters so they gave her a percentage of theater and if i remember correct she didn't that's right she didn't get a cut of streaming and so when it was also released like next day with disney streaming she like felt like she was just robbed millions of dollars which she probably was yeah, And so his big thing, like he has gone on and I, and I remember this in 2020 or maybe 2021 of him being like going, doing public service now. So being like, go to the movie theaters. You need to support the jobs of, you know, cameramen and key grips and the production houses, like all of this in order to tell great stories. So watching Top Gun Maverick is super fascinating because people and this this is what a youtube video that i watched i'm going to talk about they said this great line which was and i feel it applies to uh, mission impossible as well um they don't make movies like this anymore 
Right. And it wasn't just a reference to his stunts because even Top Gun, the first one, didn't have stunts like that. But uh, why do movies feel so different today? Why is it? And it's not just like woke ideology. It's like there's truly a an approach to making film that's different mm-hmm. when you're talking about action movies in like that kind of sim- similar genre. Why did Top Gun feel so different? Why did it feel so like familiar? But at the same time, uh, I like this the line that the YouTuber said. He's like, but also it felt it was a welcome change of pace, but it was out of place. Like it doesn't feel like normal movies. Why? And so he breaks down, he breaks down this whole thing. And it basically there's no subversion. There's no irony. There's like, Hey, here's some good old fashioned values. And we're going to have a big giant American flag behind us. As we talk about these values and through grit and determination, we're going to win. There's bad guys. You don't even know who the bad guys are. You don't know what country they're from. You don't know anything. They're just anonymous bad guys who have access to fifth generation fighters, whatever the hell that means, right? (laughs) (laughs) They can apparently go in reverse, I guess. And so you have this like content that is so fascinating because it's like white hats, black hats, go at them and through sheer grit, determination and better flying will win. And that's what happened. And there was nothing. The only subversive thing was like, how many times was, you know, the guy going to save his best friend's son slash best friend's son going to come and save him, you know, like back and forth. And it was funny because a lot of us were like, I'm so sick of anti-heroes. I'm so sick of like nuanced mm-hmm. bad guys who not just that the their story is believable, but they're actually good, you know, yeah. maleficent, yeah. you know, type type thing or even wicked. You know, it's like, well, really, the good people were actually the villains years ago, and that's why the bad person turned out so bad, right? So it, it's funny because in trying to give nuance, we actually bring distortion into it. But this guy's—I I don't know—I've talked a lot. What, what do you think of that? Do you, would you agree with that? That kind of understanding of like Top Gun Maverick and whatnot. So I hate to say this, I haven't seen. I saw it twice. I know. It's shocking. I, I, it's one of my biggest regrets of the past years that I haven't seen it. To be In honest. the theater. I really wanted to see it. Yeah. Oh. I know. So there's, know. A, there's a part where, so he's like, you have to do this impossible flight thing. And he's training this crew to do it. And then no one can do it. No one can do it. And he's too tough. And you're too tough on them. And blah, blah, blah. And then he steals a plane and goes and does it. And the feeling that I had in me was similar to and I already use this expression, but this is how I feel when Captain America caught Thor's hammer. I was like, oh, like, right. It's that moment where you're like, yeah, like you're, you're, you're cheering for him. And it was unexpected and it was awesome. And it was also totally expected. It was all of the yeah. things. Yeah. You know, I had that moment in that, in that performance. And then, and it wasn't even, I didn't have that at the, the ending. I had it at that middle, that middle sequence. Like, let me prove to you that it can, it can be done kind of thing. But man, I'm kind of bummed that you haven't seen it. So, but you have seen <laughs> kind of ruins my whole plan. Yeah, I have notes and everything. Holy crap. No, but like the, so many people felt that way. And so when I was watching mission impossible, here's one of the things, the newest one uh, was it part one of dead reckoning. One of the things that happened is there's a MacGuffin and it's called the entity and that's it. Like we got to get it. We got to stop it. We got to join it. We got to love it. We got to kiss it. We got to make out with it. It's the entity. Right. And then there's villains and you know, they're villains. And you know there are good guys and bad guys, and then there's the gray characters of usually you know government personnel. But it was so funny how they set it up. They set it up by there's an opening scene where a bunch of the U.S. intelligence agencies are all talking about this thing, and it's like maybe 45 seconds of dialogue, 
And that's it. That's all you need to know. This is the setup of the whole movie. 45 seconds. Now let's get <laughs> through this and let's start the fighting and let's start the action. And then it was just that the whole time. There was a couple like, who's good, who's bad, but you really weren't really like, it wasn't about subverting your expectations yeah. in any way, shape or form. It was just like plain as day. And that was the, so this, this YouTuber, Thomas flight, his whole point is trying to show like why movies like Top Gun Maverick are, are a welcome change of pace, but they still feel out of place because there's this layer of like, when you see the big American flag and they're like, the only thing that matters, the only difference between success is the man and woman and her determination in the box or whatever they said. You're sitting there and you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And like the trillions of support personnel that is the U S military can, uh, you know, industrial apparatus and like all of these things that, you know, like there's this cynicism, this irony that bubbles up in the back of your head the whole time that you're just like, mm, yeah, but you know, we're also in some foreign country. Cause that was all the reviews on like the daily show and stuff. They were like, we don't even care who the bad guy is. We're going to bomb the shit out of him, right? Like we don't even give a, like that was the, the critique of the movie. And it was funny because it was, it felt out of place because they weren't trying to justify anything. It's, it's merits were its own justification. It's just an action movie. Sit back and enjoy it, bro. Sit back and enjoy it. There's yeah. no religious fighting. There's no political squabbles. They're just the personal struggles that happened in the past. We resolve it by blowing shit up. And there's a good guy and a bad guy, and you know who they are, and they don't flip-flop, right? And that's so funny to me because, like, it's like Disney Plus is falling all over itself to try to turn good guys into bad guys and bad guys into good guys or to just throw gray on everything. And it's also funny to me because sometimes when you watch the these are clearly good guys, these are clearly bad guys, you you don't care as much either. Like, it's like a welcome mm. change of pace to have white hats and black hats, but at the end of the day, you're kind of like, yeah, but... Is that really life? Are people pure evil? Are people purely good? Like, have you met the leaders? You know, aren't we all? And that's the David Foster Wallace comment that we had, where the whole point was, like, irony was really important in the 50s and 60s in America, and, and the postmodern artists were true artists because there was a lot of stuff that they used irony to point out the hypocrisy of our failed leadership. But at the same time, right. we've become a culture that then made irony the norm. And now we're just ex exhausted by it. And it's similar with art, like with, with movies, like the modernism was good guy, good guys win, bad guys lose. And then that became like, well, that's not real life, real life. Sometimes the good guys are the bad guys behind the scenes. Sometimes you do uncover a sex abuse scandal or a failure of leadership or a cover up or political intrigue or Watergate or, you know, on and on and on and on. And then you find this tremendous disappointment in your leaders. And then so you come up with these new narratives that are subversive and plot twisting to try to correspond to real life. And this guy's whole argument, he's like, this is modernism and this is postmodernism. And modernism always is punching back at tradition, back at religion, back at traditional morality. That's its role. So in the 1960s, there's a famous movie called High Noon or 50s called High Noon, mm -hmm. the, the, the archetype of all Western Bad guy's coming. He got out of jail. He's coming, and he's going to kill you at noon, at high noon. He's going to get off the train, and him and his men are going to gun you down, Marshall. And then the Marshall, his wife, is a pacifist. She's a, you know, whatever. She's a pacifist, so she's, her religious views are she's not going to fight. And the, the movie even makes a point multiple times. Like, they put um, the local pastor, a parson, on, on, not on trial, but on, um, like, to, I, I think it's like at the town hall or whatever. And the pastor's like, I don't know. This is wrong and that is wrong, but I can't tell people what to do. I don't know. It's trying to show that tradition doesn't have 
the the intellectual capacity to deal with this new problem. And then the only thing that works is the grit and determination of the former marshal, and he's going to do his duty, and he's going to build a better society, and he's going to, with grit, determination, and good gunslinging, he's going to win. And even his pacifist wife, because of her religion, she was a pacifist, she comes and joins him, and she realizes that her religion is wrong, and the pastor can't explain. There's even a scene where he, the sheriff grabs a kid, like a teenage boy, and he's like, shouldn't you be in church? And she goes, and he goes, shouldn't you? And he pulls his hand to slap the kid in the face. And he's like, well, okay. And it's like, they have to subvert, or they have to not subvert, but they have to attack tradition. It's insufficient to explain reality. But then the kind of subvert, the postmodern take on an old Western, this guy uses is No Country for Old Men, which was a movie that I did not understand at first. And they kind of- Love that movie. Right, right. And so who's the villain? Well, the villain is not necessarily this black hat guy. It's this ominous chaos. It's a guy who is, he will kill you or let you live with the flip of a coin. Yep. It's, it's sheer anarchy. It's sheer chaos. It's the Joker. I'm just here to be an agent of chaos. And he, he's talking about this in terms of like, okay, so you think like this, he's a black hat. Well, obviously he's evil, but at the same time, who's the main guy that it's, it's not a gunslinger between the righteous sheriff and the, and the evil criminal. It's this like demonic entity of chaos coming after a guy who found a bunch of money and is trying to keep it. And he's yeah. not a good guy either. And the only one that's a good guy is, is Tommy Lee Jones's character. He's the sheriff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. But he, he just ends up beaten down by, by the end. Yeah. And, but also his like attitude the whole time comes from a place of being beaten down. He's like, yeah, well, sometimes I laugh at myself cause I don't even know what I'm doing. Like he, he starts off, the movie starts off with him being, cynical and worn down but this is the job and i'm gonna do the job right yeah yep and yep and so that's his like postmodernism, right he's like talking about how they're trying to they're trying to preserve or they're trying to show how all of these stories don't really equal reality that modernism's attempt uh, its rejection of tradition was right but then it just became it just supplanted it just became tradition and so now it's trying to be like oh look at me i'm so fancy and then, no, you're not. You're, you're still living these. So then this nihilism and this like chaos comes in within postmodernism. And, uh, and then he uses, he says, well, what's next? Because what you said in, in response to some of these movies was, I just don't want another antihero. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we're, we're, we're like sick of it. And so the response to that is what they call, instead of postmodernism, right? This is meta-modernism. Where it's like, okay, we can't go back to modernism. We can't go back to the white hats and the black hats. We also can't, we can't stomach for long living off of pure irony. So what do we do? We oscillate. We go back and forth between moments that matter, but also realizing none of it actually matters and feeling great about it. And so the, you make, you make a meaning really subjective. You make it really subjective while acknowledging it's entirely subjective so the old yeah. the old way was yes I'm, I'm 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 sorry that's so sorry keep going i i, I have some thoughts on this but keep going yeah so the idea was the like waiting for godot like the a lot of the literature that comes out of this postmodern stuff is like this notion of like yeah no there is no god there is no meta narrative everything sucks because it's all absurd and then mm-hmm. the po- then that's the postmodern thing is like no 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 there there is no progress there is no 
utopia. It's all chaos. And you trying to say, well, your Americanism, that's another meta narrative. Your patriotism, that's another meta narrative. Good versus bad morality. These are all false meta narratives. And you can only survive so much on that, on that anxiety, that ennui, that resentment um, before then something has to give. And for a lot of people, what happens is they go back to tradition. That, that's Alistair McIntyre's move. I mean, his second book is called, um, who, no, his third book, Three Rival Versions of Moral Inquiry, Genealogy, Encyclopedia, or Tradition. And genealogy is like the Nietzschean hmm. postmodernism. Encyclopedia is modernism. It's, it's Kantian morality. It's the Enlightenment morality. And then tradition is Aristotle, especially as understood by Thomas Aquinas, but also Aristotle in the Nicomachean Ethics and stuff. But, but then there's the other turn that you can make, which is, no, it really is meaningless. So let's just have fun with meaninglessness. You know, it's that absurdism, right? It's all meaningless. So anything that we, we get to invent anything we want. And while we're playing in this play box of meaninglessness, we can at least have fun with the lies that we tell ourselves. And that movie that's kind of paradigmatic for the meta, meta narrative is, or meta modernism is everything everywhere all at once. Have you seen that mm. yet? No, but that actually makes a lot of sense and the, from the, everything that, that I know about it. Yeah. And the directors literally were in an interview and she said, this mm-hmm. post, it's very postmodern. He goes, it's not postmodern. It's meta modern. Yeah. They're like, whoa, what yeah. does that mean? And he's like, well, it means that like genre itself is a tool. So like a postmodern, like within this genre, we do this and we're very self-aware and we break the fourth wall or, you know, um, you have Pulp Fiction or, or, you know, all these different things where it's like they're playing with the tropes within the genre. And then for yeah. him, it's no, we play with genre as just another trope, as just another toy in the toolbox or tool in the toolbox that we get to mess around with. And while doing it, we can, like the, the movie ends with a mother and daughter basically, and this isn't spoiling anything, but just like. Everything is absurd. Every nothing is meaningless because of all you know this multidimensionalism. Whatever, nothing is meaningless or nothing has meaning. But cool, we get to enjoy it together, and that's it. There's a there's a quote here from from the show Rick and Morty that I wanted that I want to share that I think really speaks to this idea of uh, it's it's uh, called on um, what again like meta uh, modernist or meta modernism. Yeah. Okay. Meta, sorry, meta modernism. Nobody exists on purpose. Nobody belongs anywhere. Everyone is going to die. Come watch TV. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and then in this guy's description of the ending of everything everywhere all at once it says nihilism is a big theme, but if it was merely a postmodern film, I would stop there. But instead, in one of the culminating scenes, Evelyn, the mother, she and her daughter reconcile by accepting nihilism. And the phrase is, then I will cherish these few specks of time, right? Then I'll go watch TV, right? <laughs> you know, like, but, and that's, that's the point. So just enjoy the present, enjoy what you have because there is no point. Yeah. So find meaning in the moment. Like, like you're saying before, your subjective own meaning. And you even see that with the way that people talk about some art. What matters is your interpretation, your enjoyment of, of that. Yeah. And it's the, so if you can find joy and meaning there, then it's fine. And like, no one can tell you otherwise. And there's a certain truth to, to like some of that. Yes. It's not necessarily completely wrong. I mean, obviously I think like people have a place, people have a person, people have a, have like a purpose. Life has meaning, but I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the, the, um, it's okay to like a thing that other people like may not like. Yeah. 
and it's okay to have it's like there are some things about like your enjoyment, particularly like your consumption of stuff that can be subjective. My concern with all this stuff is like your nature will reject this. Yeah. Like eventually people will, cause like this, it's not reality and people like as much as we may want to like, you know, say otherwise people will always want to break out, out of like, out of the matrix, their nature will revolt against this. Yeah. No matter how much they try to um, suppress it, it will it, like art. You'll find, you'll see art. Like that's what David Foster Wallace is doing. Like, he's, pointing towards this thing of like, this isn't good for us. No one alone likes this. We're all miserable because of this. Like people's own nature will push back. Yeah. Yes. And so, um, in the, in the YouTube video, the guy was talking with a dude, Greg, who's kind of, uh, he's a, I think an art, an art critic or a media critic. And he was talking about meta, meta modernism and stuff. And so the guy says to him, uh, whatever modernity has or was has continued in these, in some sense, intensified. You have people who are trying to deconstruct those things. That's postmodernism. So you have modernism, which is the thing. And then you have postmodernism, which is that thing being deconstructed. Yeah. And, uh, he says they continue in this other trajectory, but they don't necessarily negate each other. One doesn't get to win culturally. And then he said, and this is something that I found fascinating. He didn't say all the modern stuff is there. He said, the guy, his name is Greg, I believe. He said, all the traditional stuff is still right there. If we didn't have the traditional stuff, we would die. Like, like we would die. That's just the fabric of everything holding together. That's holding everything together. That's just the fabric hmm. that's holding everything together. And so that it's fascinating because if we, if uh, irony exists because men are liars and men constantly misrepresent themselves, right? So the hero. Um, people cloak themselves in leadership or heroism or Christianity or, you know, whatever climate change and activism because they're, they're, they know they have deep seated sin and brokenness and they, we want to be viewed as whole and as heroes. So we cloak ourselves in righteousness. Right. Mm -hmm. And so irony helps us deal with the fact that many of our heroes are fallen, right? You either die young or you, uh, die a hero. You live long enough to become the villain. Right. And so that that understanding, I think that notion right there is David Foster Wallace's point. We need irony because we need to be able to process and talk about these things. But then when irony becomes the norm, when deconstructing everything becomes, well, there is no thing, then you only have one or two options or you, you have three options. You have despair and kill yourself. You have the metamodernism, which is, OK, well, let's just be optimistic about playing in the sandbox of meaninglessness. Or you say, then where can I go and find meaning? And it's funny to me because undergirding all of this is tradition or, or is, you know, uh, you could say religion, mm -hmm. right? Undergirding all of this is religion that holds all of this stuff together so that mm -hmm. you can actually, you can accuse, you can accuse, say, you can say the emperor has no clothes only and if the emperor is a thing, his office is a thing, and he's supposed to have clothes on, right? Like, the the reality underneath it, tradition explains. And then these are a series of reactions against the reactions to the reactions. And so it's funny, like, you really can't have honest irony if you don't have this thing that they call tradition. Because then what are you being ironic about? Then irony becomes self-loathing, becomes self-refuting. And then we, sure, we, I, I think meta, the meta-modernism is fascinating because it's like, okay, everything's meaningless, so let's have fun. Let's go watch TV. I think is the only way 
I, I think that's the way we cope with avoiding despair. But I don't think it's a real answer. If there is no, no, meaning, I would agree. If there is no meaning, I think the only right answer is despair. I don't think it's, I think it's, but I think what they're trying to do is say, yeah, it might be naive, but it's a naive that you get to have fun with. It's a naive, naivete. And this is the funny thing. They can't get out of justifying it without referring solely to sentiment, to emotion over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, but you can still have positive sentiment, meaning good feelings about the chaos and about the meaninglessness. And it's like, well, but even that is meaningless. And then they're like, yeah, we know. But it's like, but you're still trying to find meaning. You're still trying to say it's all chaos. But this thing I created that's ultimately meaningless, hey, it's fun. And then you say, but then the fun itself is meaningless. It's all vanity of vanities. It's all chasing mm -hmm. after wind. So that's where I find all of this stuff so fascinating. It's like we're trying to go all the way down, but then we've got to the bedrock and we're like, well, it's despair time. It's like, well, I don't want to despair. So, okay, well, where do we go from here then? Where do we go from here? Well, it is weird. And that's why like, you see kind of that like optimism of some shows that you see in like The Office or Community, mm -hmm. Parks and Rec, or even Ted Lasso shows that – all shows that like I like still – that, that's where they miss the mark because it's all going in that other direction of optimism is what's best. Kindness, kind, uh, kindness matters. And it's true. Like those are all like real things, but it's not – it's only like, it's not the fullness of reality, which is ultimately only like reality can only be revealed to you by God. And if you're detaching yourself, like you're only going to get bits and pieces of it then. Yeah. But you're always going to miss out on the fullness of it. So I don't know. It's, it's, um, you know, I was not expecting to get this deep. Well, it's funny because I was listening to a comedian and he was talking about, he was on some podcast and there was a clip of it from some Christian show. YouTube's algorithms bless me with. And he's like, listen to what this comedian says. And the guy goes, you know, I just get so sick and tired of these young people blasting religion. He's like, any religion. But he's like, the reason why religions are so popular is not because they're just like mind controlling, simple, simpletons. He's like, the teachings that they have, he's like, think about Christianity. The teachings that they have, almost everyone that's critiquing religion believes it like 90% of what Christianity teaches. He, like mm -hmm. in terms of, especially in terms of morality. And he's like, we inhabit the world that these religions built. And he's like, and just throwing it away or attacking it is like, I, I just walk up to these young people. And I'm like, shut up. You don't even know what you're talking. Oh, you're anti-racism. Where do you think caring about your neighbor as yourself comes from? Cause that didn't happen from the Greek and Roman gods, you know? And so he has this great, and he himself, I, I don't believe was a Christian. I just think he, you know, was more of that, like philosophical understanding of like religious practice and whatnot but kind of going to what you said the the optimism i think is what what dr regis martin would say is a stolen base right you, you, that's unearned that's unearned you don't get to have optimism because optimism or is is based on a like why do we call these emotions positive and these emotions negative because i like and don't like them well that's kind of another that's an emotion judging another emotion right like we value these things, you know, let us smile together. Let us cherish these moments. Let us love whomever we will or whatever thing people say. That's because ultimately deep down the tradition has established for you that there are things that are good, such as cherishing that, things. That's what I was, that's yeah. what I was going to get at, which is like, it's actually their exposure. Uh, it's actually our culture's exposure and still having, still having, 
religion that gives us the basis to understand these these things or to cling to that because if you if that was truly wiped away then it would just be despair yeah yeah there's another really good point that this guy makes why is postmodernism and metamodernism modernism in our movies so much and he said it's probably due to a couple things and this is me kind of opining off of it one our awareness of like global issues and global suffering and the suffering of my neighbor and and people who you know, uh, are not me and how they get punished and whatnot. Um, yeah. or, and how life just sucks. And here I am making a million dollars off a movie where I wear tights and pretend to beat up bad guys and I'm making millions <laughs> and millions of dollars. Right. And so yeah. there's something that pangs the conscience of the artist and the writer and the director and the producer. So what they do is they write in things that hint to the audience. We're self-aware. We know this is stupid. We know this is silly. You know, what's the line from Black Widow to Captain America? You can't just punch your way out of this one, right? There are these, like, moments where it's like, hey, you know, even we justify it. Like, we're just here to have fun. It's a little escapism from our terrible world. So when I give up, go up stage, uh, up to the stage to give my acceptance speech, I have to mention all the miseries of the world in my speeches because I feel so guilty that I made a movie about superheroes punching a super robot in the face and you know, am, am, am doing great. And so he said, it's this, these insanely rich artists who have to deal with the fact that real suffering is happening and they're making something frivolous. And so they have to draw attention to the process self reflectively. Like they just have to hmm. assert it, right. They have to poke it out. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I, I could totally see that. Like in Hollywood That's and all that stuff. Fascinating. Right. Isn't it? I think that that could be such a, an interesting like tangent, you know, to kind of go down also, uh, huh. Yeah, anyway, what are your thoughts on that? Then we got to wrap up here. No, I think, yeah, yeah, like, I don't have any more thoughts to add to that, mostly because I have to go and I'm tired. Yeah, fair enough, but fair enough. This is, I love this stuff. This is really good. I like, thought you would like it, so I have the clip. It's called I love the, this. the video. It's, yeah. it's about 35 minutes long, so I knew I couldn't send it to you today, but why do movies feel so different now by Thomas Flight? It'll be in the show notes. I got it all here. But... Yeah, I think it's a really great walk through why are movies different and how are they going to they're going to be more like everything everywhere all at once rather than yeah, no country for old men, right? It's not going to be this hard cynicism, this irony. It's going to be like, yeah, there's irony, but we're going to oscillate between that and the fun bits. But underneath it all is this cry from the past of like you're made in the image and likeness of a god who knows you and loves you. That's why we should have optimism. That's why we should cherish things that matter. That's why hope exists. Yeah. You can't have optimism without hope unless you're dumb. <laughs> I, I do got to go, though. Okay. All right. Yeah, next time we're going to talk about how Patty owned me in, in my brain. <laughs> in my brain. She lived rent-free in my brain during the Super Bowl conferences. That is a great segue. All righty. I love All you, right. Luke. I, 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 I love you, buddy. I'm going to stop recording and not leave. Da-da-da-da-da. I didn't cry because that wasn't the feeling. That was your feeling. That's your truth. (laughs) 